Welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, welcome to the New Books in Education, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Madden Gihuli and I'm a public school teacher uh, based in London, England, and I'm your host today. Today we'll be talking to Mr. Satish Kumar about uh, regenerative learning, uh, nurturing people and caring for the planet, published by Global Resistance Publishing in 2022. Satish is uh, one of the editors of Regenerative Learning and is also the author of many other books, uh, most recently Elegant Simplicity, The Art of Living Well, and out this year, I believe, uh, is Radical Love from Separation to Connection with the Earth each other and ourselves. Satish is also the founder of the Schumacher uh, College and the Small School, as well as editor uh, Amaretis at, uh, uh, of Resurgence and Ecologist. Uh, welcome, Satish. My pleasure to be your, your guest. Wonderful. So now, before we get into the substance of the book, I'm wondering if you can start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you've come to editing uh, Regenerative Learning. Yes. Um, I am educated at home by my mother, and then I became a Jain monk in India. And so for nine years, I learned by heart so, and I learned by practice. So I, either of those two ways of learning are very close to me. You learn things by heart. You remember things in your head and your heart. And so I learned about 10,000 verses of Sanskrit. And, and, uh, and by, by practicing, you learn by practicing. So knowledge is not simply an intellectual information. Knowledge is something, a lived experience. And so uh, that is my uh, kind of education. And then I, um, after becoming a monk for nine years and remaining a monk, I also walked around the world. And that was my great education. I could not have learned what I learned by walking the world if I had gone to a university for two and a half years. I went through 15 countries, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, Russia, Belarusia, Poland, Germany, Belgium, France, England, America, Japan, and back to India. And I learned about cultures, religions, philosophy, poetry, music, architecture, um, everything that you can imagine. And more importantly, the landscape the natural world, mountains, rivers, deserts, forests, animals, birds, everything. So I learned by experiencing, by walking the world. And so this is why I think transformative learning and regenerative learning is about experiencing rather than just accumulating information, accumulating facts. And so knowledge without experience is, is half the story. To complete the knowledge, you have to experience it. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, definitely doing my my research um, before meeting with you today, um, uh, it was really inspiring to, to learn a little bit about um, uh, your walk around the world. So thank you so much for sharing that with our audience. That's 
such a such a rich experience. Um, we could only hope that we could um, invoke some of these learnings in in, in our classrooms as well, uh, or yes. you know, outside of our, our our outdoor classroom spaces and expanding what our classrooms uh, necessarily are. Um, so just to follow up on 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 the project um, or the book. So in the introduction, you and your co-editor uh, Pen, you know, Pen in the introduction, you sort of explain that the series of essays that are published in this in this brilliant book are actually the result of an essay competition that marked, I believe, it was the thirtieth anniversary of the college. So, That's yeah, can you tell us a little bit about? the process of deciding that after receiving so many fantastic essays that you decided to publish a selection of them? Yes. Um, this essay competition was to solicit or to gather information, ideas, views, and, 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 um, and, and the people's kind of activities about education. And, and also celebrate the 30th anniversary of Schumacher College and, and to present a book uh, which can tell you what kind of education we need in our modern world. And so we launched this uh, um, essay competition and the first prize was £1,000, second prize was £500 and the third prize was, I think, £250. And so these three essays could win the prize. But we were very delighted and also very surprised that we received so many wonderful essays. And we thought that we can give three prizes, but what do we do with the rest of the marvelous essays that we have received in this competition? So we decided to bring out a book, Regenerative Learning, and put these essays in this book as, as you have the book. And, and you can see um, the, the book and you can see how amazingly high quality uh, people are there, like um, like you can see Vandana Shiva and Fritz of Capra and uh, and uh, and many many other uh, people such as Tiknatan and and um, and uh, Stephen Sterling and uh, Anthony Seldon and Charles Eisenstein, Herbert Girarde, uh, Donald Gray, uh, and many many other people who have contributed to this book. Uh, so. So this was amazing that we had such a wonderful submissions uh, from Bhutan, from India, from uh, Japan, from every country, most many countries in the world. And so we decided to bring out this book. And it was a tremendous experience to, to then we organized a little seminar. Uh, and many of these contributors came to England, to Schumacher College, uh, to experience what kind of education Schumacher College provides. And we, we said, uh, and for the last 32 years now, we have been um, providing education of head, education of heart, and education of hands. Head, heart, and hands. Because our modern education is mostly about head. When you go to a university, your lecturer, your teacher, in a school or college or university, look at you, and they think, that you have no body, you have only head. You have no hand, you have no heart, you have no uh, legs, you have nothing else other than a body. 
and uh, sorry, nothing else other than head, and only half head, because you know all human beings have two hemispheres of their brain. One hemisphere is the left hemisphere, that is the hemisphere of reason and logic and science and analysis and information. And the right hemisphere of the brain is the, uh, the hemisphere of imagination, of creativity, of spirituality, of relationship, of, of understanding, uh, all those sort of things which are not so tangible, not so measurable, not so um, uh, kind of countable or, or quantifiable. And so, but our universities do not pay any attention to right hemisphere of the brain. And I, our universities don't pay any attention to heart feeling, relationship feeling, and nothing about hands. We, our students come out of the universities, they do not know how to build a house, how to make clothes, how to build furniture, how to make pottery, how to do gardening, even very little cooking. So hands are very missing. So we, in this book, uh, brought that information, but most importantly, that Schumacher College is an example of learning of head, education of head, education of heart, education of hands, education of whole person, and practice-based, not just intellectual theory, but practicing, gardening, cooking, building, walking, learning from nature, being out in nature. That is a kind of key to Schumacher College experience. And that is the main um, uh, contribution of this book to the educational world. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I, I, I think as well, you know, what was really striking to me is that the selection of essays is so extremely broad in terms of the background of contributors. You know, you've definitely got, you know, amazing, distinguished, you know, professors and published essayists, um, but you've also got, which was uh, to my to my excitement, obviously, as a, as a high school teacher myself, uh, you had a student in there uh, who who had just completed their A-levels, um, which was, you know, really exciting. And, and really, I think that sort of gives us a little bit of a, a sort of a capture of, of the the breadth and the richness of this um, of this edited volume. Um, what I wanted to ask you about just at this point was if you could just briefly talk to us about this key term, regenerative, and its relationship to education, um, kind of at a theoretical and, and practical kind of lens. Yes. Now, the word regenerative is a very beautiful word. And regenerative is like you have one seed and you put that one seed in the ground, in the soil, and that one seed becomes a tree. And that one tree produces thousands of apples. <laughs> Not one year, but year after year after year, maybe 10, 15, 20, 50 years. So that's a kind of nature's um, cycle and nature's way and nature's, uh, nature's rhythm to regenerate, to recreate, to, to um, not just absorb and consume, but give back uh, and then more. In the same way, we would like to see education 
not as a kind of consumer thing that I want to gain something for myself, but education should be regenerative. So ideas should be, um, one idea should give birth to hundred other ideas. One learning should give a birth to hundreds of other learning. Just sharing your ideas, teaching your ideas, right? and, 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 and education should be in such a way that it multiplies and, and it creates abundance, like in nature's abundance um so so that is the kind of idea rather than our consumerist society where we want to just take 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 and and hold and and a holding is a, has a kind of habit of our modern world so we want to create education which is sharing caring idea generate more ideas uh, and a philosophy generate more philosophy and science generate more science so that it's a kind of sharing and multiplying so that there is abundance. There is no scarcity, and you don't have to buy your education. Education should be free, in my view. I think uh, this generation, our generation, should spend money to support future generations, as our elders, our parents, spent money to bring us up and, and educate us. So each generation should take responsibility to create a new generation of educated and, and inspiring and imaginative and, and, and creative uh, next generation. So that's a kind of regenerative. If you are just buying something for yourself and you are for my success and my name and my fame and my status and my career and how much money I can earn from my education and all for me, 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 me. So our regenerative education is and regenerative learning is not me, but we. We shift from me to we. We shift from ego to eco. Um, so nature is not egotistical. Nature is ecological. Humans should be part of nature. We are not separate from nature. So we should be like nature, regenerating, recreating, sharing, and 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 giving. That's a kind of idea behind regenerative learning. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of those sort of through lines that you've started to highlight in that in that answer, I think, are going to sort of thread quite well into to my next sort of questions. I, I you know, the book is divided into three parts. Um, you know, part one is is those prize winning essays. Uh, then you've got part two, which is titled "In Principle," and and part three, which is titled "In Practice." Which you know, these three um, sort of sections help ground the reader. But the book is is very thoughtful in in how it strings together a set of interesting through lines as well um, that sort of go you know, that sort of very, very much flow. It's, it's, it's quite interesting reading this text. And, you know, if you were just reading it without the context of the introduction, you would think that all of these contributors had sat in a room at some point and, and had some, you know, had shared some thoughts because uh, the themes that come across so strongly uh, are, are exactly that, are threading through the entirety of the book. Um, so I guess what the first sort of through line that I'm thinking about um, that I picked up on as I was reading is the kind of 
general questioning, the big questioning of, of how we conceive of education. And you, you have just been touching on this as well, but I want to give you an opportunity to, to maybe speak a, a little bit about some of the contributors, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, this, this questioning of how we conceive of education being education as schooling, um, yeah. which is, is not serving our planet. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the critiques and ideas and solutions that put forward, uh, that are put forward by some of the contributors in this sense? Yes, yes. I mean, there are uh, great contributors in it, like Vandana Shiva from India and Christian Capra from California and David Orr from Chicago. And, and many others. So what they are saying in this book is that education is more than schooling. Education is to bring out what is already there. Um, you should not look at a young person, a young student in a school or university as an empty vessel. And, and that empty vessel needs to be filled with more information, more information, more information. That is not education. That's a kind of training. That's a kind of informing. But education, educare, is to bring out what is already there. And so, uh, so like uh, a seed already has the tree. You don't have to, a gardener or an orchard keeper or a forester does not tell an acorn um, that you have to become an oak tree. Uh, acorn knows how to become an oak tree. Only purpose of a uh, forester or the orchard keeper is to support the acorn, support the seed, uh, give good soil, give good compost, give good watering, good give protection, so that that can tree, that seed can become what it is and can bring out what's its potential. So education should be like that. The work of a teacher or a school or a university is to give that support, give that atmosphere, give that surrounding, give that uh, encouragement, like a compost and water and protection. So that's the purpose of education. And this is what all most of the contributors are trying to bring, that our education has lost its way. And our education has become too job-centered. You are at a school because you want to get a nice career. You want to get a nice job. And what does nice job means? Well-paid. And so you change your job after five years because you want to get a higher, highly paid, higher paid job or a higher career and so on. So all life becomes just a career seeking and more money and more money to so have a bigger house, bigger car, um, uh, uh, bigger this or bigger that. So that is not really serving the planet and not serving humanity. It's a very egotistical and very self-centered education. And so the authors, the contributors, um, are kind of like an eco-literacy of David Orr. Uh, he's saying that we have to be, we know so much about technology, we know so much about about uh, uh, philosophy. We know so much about um, many, many things, but we know very little about nature. We know very little about how nature works. Uh, maybe a few biologists and a few kind of ecologists uh, in a, on the fringe, but majority of people have very little knowledge of our forest and how it works and how animals and our birds and butterflies and, and how water system works. And therefore we use nature only as a resource for the economy. 
nature only a resource for making money. And that is not the purpose of education. Education should be to learn from nature and realize that humans are also nature. And the nature is not just a simply a resource for the economy and making money, but the nature is a source of life itself. And that is the kind of main thread bringing the whole book together to, to create a nature-centered education rather than job-centered education. Economy and ecology must come together. Economy by itself is not enough. And also, many of the contributors are saying that the what we call the economy is not really the economy. They are, <coughs> they are mostly concerned about money. And the economy is more than just money. Um, so what is what can one call money nomi? Economy has become a money nomi, management of money. But the economy is a very beautiful word. And economy means the, the management of the ecosystem. Nomos means management and ecos means the ecosystem, the planet Earth. So economy, and the economy should go with ecology, the knowledge of the ecosystem, knowledge of the planet Earth. So economy and ecology are twins. That is the kind of idea of this regenerative learning book. The economy and ecology are twins. They should work together. You cannot have economy at the expense of ecology. You cannot have economy by destroying ecology. Economy is a kind of subtext of ecology, of nature. Without nature, there is no economy. And that, to some extent, is a kind of uh, challenging the educational system and challenging our modern economic system and, 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 and saying that we need to create a new education which is more nature-centered, earth-centered, human-centered, and philosophy-centered rather than just money-centered and job-centered. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you. Um, this basically, you know, you've done you've done my job for me in sort of transitioning to the next set of questions because I think that that you know, if somebody wasn't already thinking about it um, in the forefront of their mind, uh, particularly if you are, you know, our listeners who are in educating roles, uh, which you know many or most are. Um, whether it's in academia or, or otherwise, um, you know, thinking about this relationship between um, or what's become such an entangled relationship between our political economy, you know, we can't think about how we're schooling and how we're thinking about um, schooling and education for the environment without thinking about the political economy in which we're sort of situating ourselves. So I guess... You know, another core critique that come and an observation that that many of the contributors make quite distinctively um, is the link between capitalism and the degradation of the living world. Um, would you like to sort of talk about this specific link and how you suggest um, this antagonism of education serving economic ends under capitalism can be addressed? You know, how we can move forward, how we can think about building educational models that uh, better serve ecological harmony, that better serve our relationship with our greater sort of um, yeah. position yeah. in the world? The, the, the question of capitalism is a very important one. And uh, I feel that, of course, we need capital. For any business, you need financial capital. But capital, the word capital has become limited to financial capital. And we have forgotten 
that uh, nature is also capital, the natural capital, then the human capital is also capital. So we have forgotten that capitalism only uh, takes financial capital into account and ignores the natural capital and ignores the human capital and the social capital and the cultural capital. So capitalism had become too narrow and 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 had put money above everything else and and in that humans and nature have become servants of capital capitalism had become the boss and nature is at the uh, service and at the mercy of capital and the humans are also in the service and at the mercy of financial capital so what i would like to see is that um the um the capital um, should be in the service of humanity. Capital should be in the service of planet Earth and nature. And at the moment, we say natural resources. So you use natural resources to make capital, to make financial gain, to make money, and also human resources. So uh, every business has HR department. HR stands for human resources. And that's a dreadful concept to make humans as a resource for making profit or running an organization or, or making money or, or, or production or consumption, all these things. Humans are not a resource. Uh, humans should be the, the, the goal, the end. Um, and, and the money, profit, um, capital, um, uh, business, industry, uh, consumption, production, all these should be the means to an end to enhance human relationship. And so I would like to see the HR should stand not for human uh, resources, but it should stand for human relationship, HR, human relationship, and not HR human resources. So capitalism has undervalued, if not destroyed the value of human capital. And capitalism had also destroyed the value um, of natural capital. Nature had become a resource for uh, enhancing financial capital. And humans have become a resource for enhancing uh, financial capital. And that is tragic. That is tragic because money was a good invention. Money was a useful invention, helpful invention, uh, because it could it, uh, facilitate the exchange of goods and services. It facilitated um, and, and make life a bit easier. Uh, but now money had become the boss. Money had become the, the dictator. Money had become the ruler. And humans and nature have become the servants. And that is tragic. And therefore, we are all living for money. We are all working for money. Or oh, everything we do, we write books for money. We do business for money. We run, um, we run a kind of schools for money. We run hospitals for money. We do everything for money. Money becomes the ruling factor. And that is where the capitalism has taken a wrong turn. And therefore, I would like to, uh, to replace capitalism with naturalism and humanism. And the humans and nature should be uh, the, the end goal. And money should be a means to an end. Uh, the profit should be a means to an end. Capital should be a means to an end. But at the moment, what is, should be a means to an end has become the end. 
and what should be the end has become the means. Nature and humans have become the means and capital has become the end, should be the other way around. And capital should be the means and human dignity and natural integrity should be the end. And that is the problem uh, with capitalism. And this is why I don't like capitalism. Thank you for that. Um, how fortunate we are to to have you here today. I think we're all taking notes. I certainly am. Um, another through line that continues to surface, and you know, I'm sure that people are hearing it in in your voice and obviously in your introduction as well, is the spiritual, the cultural, the ancestral interconnections. This really comes yeah. out through the volume, you know, particularly the centrality of, and, and this is really important as, as somebody who grew up on on stolen lands in in, in, in Sydney, in Gadigal lands, um, is the centrality of Indigenous knowledges and as they inform more reciprocal and circular relations with the rest of the non-human living world can you talk to us a little bit about why it's so important that any conversation that we're having about regenerative learning must be place-based and rooted in and informed by local indigenous knowledges yes absolutely and our ancestors and indigenous cultures are very very important because we we humans of this generation are not dropped from the sky we have come from a long line of our ancestors. And therefore, we have to have a deep gratitude for the ancestral knowledge, the indigenous cultures um, in every country, um, Aboriginal people in, in Australia and their song lines and their uh, tremendous art and culture and the American Indians in North America and, and many, many other cultures in Brazil, in Amazon and many other um, Peru and, and many other um, cultures in, in South America and also in, in Europe. Uh, the indigenous cultures. And so we need to learn from our ancestors. And our ancestors have left us so many wonderful gifts. All our language, all our philosophy, all our science, all our religions, all our language, uh, architecture, everything what we have is given to us from our long, long line of ancestors. And therefore, if we are not grateful to our ancestors, that will be very arrogant. And our modern uh, civilization is too arrogant. And we don't pay, we think we are progressing and we are ahead and we have done much better. Our ancestors were bad and they did not know anything. We know more. Too much arrogance in our modern world. I pay great homage to our ancestral um, uh, uh, communities and our indigenous communities all over the world. And I feel a sense of gratitude and a sense of humility. And what we have received, all this gift, uh, I feel grateful. And this is why I feel that we need to be responsible for our future generations. And as we have received so many gifts from our ancestors and our ancient indigenous cultures, in the same way, we should leave good culture, good values, good um, uh, society, good gifts for our future generations. Because we are a continuum, like a great river. We are a great river of humanity. And we are a continuum. And we are in a flow. And, and we have received so much from ancestors. We are the link. And then next generations will come and they will receive from us. And so we should leave our planet as a beautiful planet, unpolluted and undestroyed and undamaged. 
and, and has integrity and nature and culture all play an important role, an important part. And so that is our responsibility. And that gratitude and that humility is an essential quality. Without humility, there's no humanity. Humanity has to be have a humility. But at the moment, our modern culture, modern civilization, industrial civilization, capitalist system, all that has become too arrogant. And this arrogance is really uh, kind of undervaluing, if not denying, the gifts of our ancestors and gifts of our indigenous cultures. Yeah, I think that idea about thinking about ourselves and our relationship to, you know, the circular, you know, the circular kind of nature of how we're thinking about being in relationship with the non-human world, um, you know, tying it back to being a good ancestor and thinking about, you know, your lineages and, and what's coming after you and who's coming after you is is... Uh, a radical hope that we can hold on to um, when our conversations around ecology can be uh, particularly uh, dark sometimes. So I thank you for for that piece of radical hope. Um, I am mindful of the time. Um, however, I'd, I'd like to give you the opportunity to um, talk to the listeners about anything you're currently working on that you'd like us to keep an eye out for or anything uh, of that nature? Um, at the moment, uh, my main work is um, uh, is a radical love. You use the term radical hope. I think that's a very beautiful word. And, and I have a radical love as in my new book. And that's my new work, the latest work. Because I want to see the activism, which is a kind of radical activism, imbibed by love. And the people who are loving people, they should also embrace the radical activism. At the moment, these are in a kind of two separate uh, compartments. Either you are a very loving person and you are just getting on with your life and you love nature, you love yourself, you love your family and just stay there. Or you are very radical for social change, social activism, environmental activism, transformation and all that kind of thing. And so these two things have become separated. I want to bring radicalism and loving uh, kindness together. And so so I want to bring radical and love together. I want to have, like Mahatma Gandhi, he was a radical love person. And Martin Luther King, he was a love, radical love person. And so, but at the moment in our modern times, we have lost that. And we don't have any such figures like Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King who bring radicalism and love together. And also I want to see that love should be not only a moderate love where you love somebody who loves you. You expect to be loved back. I think we have to love unconditionally and unlimited love and un without any expectations. We have to drop all our expectations to be loved back and 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 love only those who we like and we agree with i think we have to have a radical love which means loving even those whom we don't like and we don't agree with and yet we love them and through love we can transform them with hatred you can kill but with only love you can transform and so this transformative power of love is a radical love and that's my new book and I'm working um, on that theme now and promoting radical love so regenerative learning is my uh, the book which I want uh, your readers to read uh, but also 
if they want to have a second book uh, after, uh, and maybe another interview you can do with me on radical love. Um, the second book is my radical love. So those are two things that I'm working on. Um, regenerative learning and Schumacher College is there in practice and radical love as a second book. Yeah, I think uh, I think we will have to have you back uh, to talk about that that new book. And you know, I, I'll be teaching religion uh, for the first time here uh, in this coming uh, year. Uh, so I've been burying myself uh, to inform me of many of the worlds. Uh, particularly, uh, I've been spending a lot of time around uh, liberation theology across different theologies, um, which you know, really, we can, as you've mentioned, uh, Dr. King himself, uh, it was part of this really beautiful long lineage. Um, so there's there's a lot there for us to really grapple with um, and be having you know radical conversations that that link to spirituality and uh, religiosity. Um, so thank you again for coming on to talk with me today, Satish. Um, we've been talking about regenerative learning, nurturing people, and caring for the planet. Published in two thousand and twenty two by Global Resistance Publishing. Available. Uh, it's uh, it is available at, online at bookshop.org and other sellers. Um, I've been your host, Madden Gilhooly, and this has been the New Books uh, in Education on the New Books Network. We'll hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you. <laughs>